It is a joy and a blessing to be here today. It's uh, wonderful to, to see so many of our brethren back together um, and others uh, from afar. If your Bibles aren't already open to, to Romans chapter 12, you can open them there now. We, we will be looking at that passage here in just a little bit. Every time that we get together to look at God's word, we, we want to use God's word as a mirror. And anyone who seeks to effectively use it in teaching and edifying other people first needs to look into the mirror long and hard themselves. Um, I, I'm convinced that if any sermon I present is going to be helpful to somebody else, it first has to be helpful to me uh, and my thoughts, my words, my actions. And so last week uh, I, I asked for your all's prayers um, as I was struggling with feeling like I had taken too many things into my own hands, taken charge in some ways that I didn't feel was healthy for the congregation here. And I, I wanted to share with you all today God's answers to some of those prayers, uh, some of your prayers, uh, some principles from the scriptures that have helped me in working through some of those things this past week. And there's still principles that I'm working on, working through, uh, and learning how to apply, but I hope that as they uh, are, are helpful to me, they can be helpful to you as well. I want to talk about the idea of learning to let go. Um, and I, I want to kind of clarify what we're talking about here, Cl clarify uh, the, the struggle that I'm speaking of. Um, I thought about entitling this sermon, Confessions of a Control Freak. Um, but, but I thought that might be a little bit extreme. And, and I thought as well that that, that might be a little bit self-focused. I, I don't I never want to be my, any sermon to, to be about my experiences. Uh, I want our focus to be in on the word of God. But I think it might be helpful as we talk about this um, to first explain to you what I see in the mirror. So that when I hand the mirror off to you, you have maybe a little bit better idea what, what it is that we're looking at together. Uh, perhaps if you better understand my struggle, you may be able to more easily make application to yourselves um, and, and hopefully keep me accountable as well. Back in 2012, I, I started a preacher training program at, at a large congregation in, in the St. Louis area. Uh, and it was kind of like a, a preaching internship, but after a year and a half, they, they asked me to stay on full time with the congregation there. And the transition between being a preacher in training to being a full-time evangelist with the group was not always an easy transition. Um, I felt like I kind of needed to prove myself, to prove my worth, that I, I was no longer a trainee, that now I was a, a full-time preacher with the group. And so I found myself trying to go above and beyond to kind of prove my value as a, a preacher. And uh, every time something needed to be done, I found myself uh, trying to jump in and, and take charge of that. Uh, you know, if we, if we need a, a weekly bulletin to, to be published, then I, I can do that. And I'll, uh, I'll put it together, uh, you know, the, the best that I can. And if, if the sermon audio is not consistently being uploaded to the website, I can do that. Uh, and if 
you know, we, we need to have somebody take charge of VBS, well, I'll do that. Uh, and I found myself trying to almost make myself indispensable to the congregation to, to make myself feel like I was valuable, like, like I was doing my work. Uh, and so I tried to be a self-starter as well and start up meetups and serve in notes for the kids and revamp our track rack and, and get personal studies. And I felt like the more indispensable I made myself, the more I was doing my job, the more I was proving my worth. But there was a problem with all of that. I started to get burnt out. And when I say I got burnt out, I don't just mean that I was getting tired. Uh, I started to resent the amount of work that I was doing. Um, I, I remember vividly on Saturday evenings uh, while I was finishing up my sermon and finishing up the Bible class and getting the news and notes for the bulletin and printing it out and folding it, the 120 bulletins that we had put out and, and you know, the sermon notes for the kids, um, just sitting back and, and um, feeling like uh, it, it wasn't fair. That, that on a Saturday, I was putting in a 12-hour day um, in addition to the, the hours that I had been working before. And that, you know, it, it didn't seem like anybody else was, was as invested in the work as I was. And I'll tell you, saying those words sounds, feels like poison in my mouth. Um, that, that's a horrible place to be. It's a horrible attitude to have. But, but I look at all that... that I had put on my plate and feel like, well, can, can anybody else take care of this? You know, wh why is it that I'm the only one do, who, who seems to be going above and beyond? Why, why is it that, that I'm the only one who seems to be consumed with the work day in and day out? Um, but what I realized, and I admit I realized li little too late, uh, is that it wasn't primarily other people's problems. It was my problem. I was the one who, who both in my attitude after the fact and my attitude beforehand had created that situation. I, I was resenting all the things that I had said I would take control of because I liked being in control. I liked feeling like I was being valuable in the things that I was doing. I wanted to make myself indispensable. And so I was reaping the fruits of that. And it wasn't good for me, and it wasn't good for the congregation. Maybe you have a hard time relating with that story personally. Maybe that's not your experience uh, in the work of the church. But maybe it describes your experience at home. Maybe you're the primary breadwinner, and you're making all the financial decisions, and paying all the bills, and you know, figuring out the savings and the insurance and, and your taxes. Uh, maybe you feel that way there. Maybe you're the primary homemaker and uh, you are cooking all the meals and, and uh, you know, taking care of the, the laundry and all the other things and, and you, you feel that way about your work there. Maybe you feel that way at work or at school. Maybe you're the kind of person like me uh, who when there's a, a, a project that needs to be done, you kind of want to make sure it gets done and you say, well, I'll take care of that. And then you complain about the other people who's not doing their part because you didn't want them to do their part in the, in the first place. Um, well, it may apply to, to different people in different ways, and maybe that's not your personality. Maybe that's not your struggle. 
uh, I hope by at least talking about some principles that apply to this type of struggle, it'll be helpful for, for you to understand uh, other people's struggle, for you to understand as we all try to work through some of these things together. What, what principles can we look at in the scriptures that will help us not have that kind of attitude? Because as I said, I, I, I'm ashamed to even say some of the things that I just said. Uh, I'm ashamed to, to view the Lord's work in that way. Um, I think to begin with, we need to recognize that pride is the core problem. Taking initiative, uh, in some cases, taking charge, being a self-starter or trying to go above and beyond, within itself is not necessarily a bad thing. It has its limits, and it needs to be governed by the proper attitude. It's important that we see our role in uh, our work uh, in the proper light. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21 and 22. As Paul talks about the, the body there, he warns in verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, the ESV says. You know, it's, it's easy for me to be tempted to want to make myself indispensable. To want to kind of prove my value and feel valuable by, by making myself indispensable. But you know who God says is indispensable? You and you and you and you and you and you. Every single one of us, he says. Every single joint and ligament is indispensable. That's the way that God designed the body. And so we all have a role to play. We need to appreciate God's design in that way. And, and I think most of us would not be as blatant or as bold to say, well, I have no need of you. But it might come out by saying, well, here, let me take care of that. I can do that. I, I think I can do that, you know, maybe better than you could do it. Let, let me take charge. Maybe that's the way that it comes out. We need to actively be saying in the body, I need you, and I need you, and I need you, because that's the way that God designed it. That's what God desires from his body. Look back in that passage that we read in Romans 12. Romans 12, starting in verse 3. Romans 12 and verse 3. It says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. What helps us not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, as he says there at the beginning of the passage? I think it's seeing God's grace 
at work and other people. Seeing the gifts that he has given to other parts of the body, appreciating his design for how the body functions, and, and then recognizing the limitations of our own role according to the gifts, the grace that he has given us. If you have a basketball team, it, it's good to have you know, some, some good, well-rounded players who might be able to, to function decently in any position. But that doesn't mean that you should try to play them in all the positions at once or that they should volunteer for all, for all the positions at once. That, that's not going to be helpful to the team. In fact, it, it's going to be destructive. Uh, a good coach would balance the strengths and weaknesses of each player, giving them each a position in which they could best support the team. And somebody who is a ball hog, and that's my struggle. I, I am a ball hog. Uh, somebody who is a ball hog who thinks that he should be the one leading every play and, and shooting every basket is not going to help the team. He's only going to hurt it. He's not going to help that team succeed, and it's only with a healthy understanding of his own limitations that the team is going to be able to experience any kind of success. That kind of pride and arrogance has no place in the body of Christ. It's not the character of Christ. Philippians chapter 2 and in verse 3, as Paul begins to describe what he later refers to as the mind of Christ, in Philippians 2 and verse 3, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Count others more significant than yourselves. We, we need to see the value that God has placed in other people. We need to be more in tune to others' strengths, to others' roles and thus to our own weaknesses. In the body of Christ, the best players on the team are not the players that score the most points. It's the player that has the most assists. That's what God desires of us, to be supporting and encouraging and helping other people to succeed. That's his design. And brethren, that's what we need more of. That's who I need to be. Because equipping is more foundational than accomplishing. I intellectually understand that. I don't always practice it. You've probably heard the phrase, uh, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. And that sounds good. We understand that concept. But when you're out there and the fish are biting, and you could have had your line in the water for an hour now, and you're spending time helping other people bait their hooks and learn how to cast, then it doesn't sound like such a good idea, right? In that situation, you, you want to get your line in the water, right? But that's not ultimately what is needed. Maybe you experienced that in parenthood. You know, maybe you're trying to teach your child some tasks, but, you know, it would go a lot faster if I just took care of this myself. But, you know, if, if you do that all your life, that child's never going to learn how to do it. And you're going to be doing it for the rest of your life, right? 
Maybe you've done that in, in training a new employee, right? Training somebody else is, is, is not an easy activity. But if you don't, then you're going to be doing their job, right? We need to recognize that God's design is for his church to be equipping one another. And where I have a strength, I need to be sharing that strength. Where you have a strength, you need to be sharing that strength with me. We need to be uh, building one another up in that way. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I think here we'll see the value of equipping. We need to develop more of an equipping mindset, an equipping culture in the church. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11, we read, speaking of Jesus, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That needs to describe us. And do you notice at the very beginning there is he's talking about the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the, the shepherds, the teachers. What is the responsibility of those people? What, what's their work? We, we might think, well, they're to do the work of ministry, right? They're to build up the body of Christ. But what does he say? He says there in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The most foundational aspect is not to, to be the one accomplishing things. It's to be the one equipping other people to accomplish things. The one who, who is getting the assists. That's what God's design uh, for his church is. An evangelist is not the star player. <laughs> uh, if anything, he's more like an assistant coach um, who is, is trying to help the body grow, help different parts be equipped and grow in that way. It, it's so easy for us to develop a business mindset towards the church. And, and you have your, your church employees, and then you have your church customers or consumers. Right? And the, the church employees, they're the ones who, who are going to take care of, of, of the work. And then uh, you know, they, they're, they're there to make sure that it's a good experience for everybody else. That's, that's not God's design. We need to start thinking of ourselves all as full-time employees in the service of Christ. And so when I think about the, the work of church, when you think about the work of the church... We need to think of that as our responsibility. That the, the direction that this church goes, what, what we do in the service to Christ. Uh, first and foremost, we're acting on, on the authority of Christ himself, seeking to be grounded in his word and everything we do. But we, we have to all take personal responsibility for that because we're not a business. We, we are 
If we were a business, we'd all be employees. There are no customers. We're a flock. We're a family. We're a body. And so I would challenge us. I would challenge myself um, never to talk about the East Side Church of Christ in the third person. If you're a member of the flock here, talk about it in the first person. We are doing this, and we are doing that. It's not the church made that decision, and the church is doing this, and the church is doing that. The minute I start talking about it in the third person, I'm now distancing myself from that. Let's take that responsibility. We all are to be active parts of this body. And I'll tell you, I need to do a better job of focusing on equipping rather than accomplishing. Because the way I handle my work can either encourage this mindset that we're talking about or it can discourage this mindset that we're talking about. And that's what I I fear that I've been falling into in my own thinking recently. Because I'm discouraging us to have this mindset that I'm talking about. And that falls on me. I have a tendency to put more emphasis on accomplishing than on equipping. I'm the kind of guy that, you know, if if somebody else is struggling to, to learn how to fish, uh, my, my tendency is to say, well, here, let me take that. Uh, uh, l- l- let me show you how, how to do it. That's not helpful. That's not accomplishing God's purpose. And so I can be piling my plate high with the Lord's work and making myself indispensable to the church and utterly failing in the purpose that God intends for me. That's not what I'm supposed to be doing. You know what the measure of my success in the Lord's work should be is not how many things are on my to-do list, how many things I'm accomplishing. The measure of success in the Lord's work is seeing God's work in other people, investing in uh, and equipping the saints for the work of ministry. That is God's design. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, Paul tells Timothy, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Brethren, our job on this earth is to work ourselves out of a job. To invest in and equip other people to the point that we are no longer needed. Because one day, whether it's five years from now or 50 years from now, you're not going to be in this church anymore. Whether it's five years or 50 years from now, I'm not going to be here forever. And if when that time comes and we leave, then you know, everything falls apart. That's not an evidence of, of how good we were doing in our work, right? That, that's an evidence that we made ourselves indispensable. Our impact is not seen by the hole that we leave when we're gone. It's seen by the lives of those that we have influenced that lives on after us. And that may not be here. That may be people that move on and go other areas. But that's what our work is. Our work is not leaving a big hole. That's not what God wants. Our work is equipping other people 
and influencing other people, that what they, they heard and saw in us lives on in them after us. And that's what we need to focus on. And I'll, I'll tell you, when we were in St. Louis, I lost sight of that. And I don't want to lose sight of that here. Because that's damaging to a group. I don't know how many times in talking with people about the work here at Eastside, I, I've used the phrase, we have a lot of good workers here. Because it's true. And I don't want to be the one to mess it up. <laughs> I want to equip the workers that we have. I want to encourage the workers that we have. Invest in the workers that we have. That we can grow together. But sometimes when, when you begin trying to take charge, when you, when you begin trying to be the star player, uh, and, and granted there have been some circumstances lately that have made that more of a temptation than it might have been at other times. Um, but it's very easy then to let go. It's very difficult, rather, to let go. It's very easy to continue to hold on to those things that, that we have uh, taken control of. But I think we need to realize if God can entrust us with his work, who are we not to do the same? I want you to look for a moment back in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 1. I, I want you to imagine what this would have been like for Jesus. Here in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 1, it says, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Okay, here is Jesus, the Son of God, and he's sending out a ragtag group of fishermen and tax collectors that had just been called to him, at least in the book of Luke, just four chapters earlier. And he's sending them out to preach a message that they barely understand without his supervision. We, we read that they come back there in uh, verse 10, but, but I want you to see Jesus' interactions with these same apostles throughout the rest of chapter 9. In chapter 9 and verse 33, they're up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Peter speaks up and he says, well, let, let's, let's make a tabernacle for, for Moses and for Elijah and for you. And he's rebuked from heaven for that. Uh, verse 35, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. Then they come down from the mountain. And in verse 40 and 41, evidently while Jesus was up on the mountain, the, his apostles has encountered a man uh, who, who was, uh, had a son who was demon-possessed, and they weren't able to cast it out. And so Jesus has to come in. He says there in verse 41, Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. Okay, then we go a few verses later in verse 46. Now his apostles are arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And then we go a little bit further, and John says there in verse 49, uh, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following with us. And Jesus corrects him. And then we see that Jesus is rejected by the Samaritans in this next section. Uh, and 
James and John say, well, God, Jesus, do you want us to, to call down fire from heaven to, to burn up the people here? And he rebukes them. And then we get to the beginning of chapter 10. Verse 1 of chapter 10 says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus looks at the, the 12 apostles that he had sent out earlier and all of the difficulties that he's had with him, them in this last chapter. And he says, you know what? That was a really good idea. Let's send out 72 more. Do, do, you, do you think that would be a very easy thing to do? Here, here is the son of God who knows the perfect thing to say and the perfect thing to do in every situation. And he's sending out a bunch of these flawed human beings to carry a message that they don't even fully understand to the people around them. How is it that Jesus could do that? I think perhaps it's because equipping was more important to Jesus than accomplishing. You know, Jesus could spread the gospel however he wanted to. God could spread the gospel however he wanted to. But you know what he chose? He chose broken, flawed, weak, foolish human beings to do his work because he wants to see us grow. He wants to see us be equipped. And perhaps Jesus sending out the 72 uh, and the apostles was really almost more about them growing than it was about the work that they were accomplishing. Because Jesus has three years here on earth to equip these disciples to to lead the church in establishing the church on the day of Pentecost. So Jesus focuses on equipping them, equipping men who are weak, who are foolish. It's easy for us to look at someone preaching for the first time or, or teaching a class for the first time or, or, or sharing the gospel with their neighbor for the first time and think, oh, I... I wouldn't have said it quite that way. You know, I, I, that's not how I would have handled it. Do you think that God ever feels like that looking down at us? That God looks down at us and says, ooh, that's something we need to work on. But God entrusts us with his work because he wants us to grow. He wants to equip us. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 26, um, Paul is not very flattering uh, to the, the Christians here, but what he says here applies to us just like it applies to them. In verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 1, he says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God.
God didn't reach out to us with the gospel because he was impressed with our natural talent. And he said, you're the one that I want on my team. No, he reached out to us because we were desperately in need of his transforming grace. We need to remember that. He alone has the ability to equip us, to strengthen us. I, I, I think about the, the illustration of a painting. In Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about us as God's workmanship. And the, the most expensive painting in the world that I'm aware of is the, the Salvatore Mundi by Da Vinci. It was sold just a couple of years ago for $450 million. But how expensive, how valuable do you think the, the paint that Da Vinci used was? How, how expensive, how valuable do you think that the, the canvas that he used was, or, or the brush that he used was? Well, on its own, it had very little value. But in the hand of the artist, in the hand, in our case, of the creator, he can accomplish great things. And so we need to look at ourselves, at one another. We're, we're, we're like the paintbrush. We're like the canvas. We're, we're like the paint. But God can use us. And when he does, it's not going to be to our glory. It's not going to be because we showed our value and made ourselves indispensable uh, and, and impressed other people with our work. No, if that's what we're trying to do, then we are entirely failing in what God desires of us. Now, when we are able to accomplish anything, it's going to be because we surrendered ourselves to the hand of the Creator. If only we could see that kind of value and that kind of potential in, in one another that God sees in us. Yeah, we might not start off that great. Others who are learning and growing to do things for the first time, to, to try new things in, in serving the, the Lord, um, they may struggle. They might not do it the way that I would do it, right? But I needed to struggle, and I needed to grow, and I still need to struggle, and I still need to grow today. And someone else had the patience with me to help me grow, to help me be equipped. And so I, I guess maybe the primary takeaway that I hope we can all take from this is, is we need to create an equipping culture. And I want you to help me with that. I want you to help me be more focused on equipping. I want us as a congregation to focus more on doing this work together and finding ways that we can each grow, that we can each be, be built up as God designed to work as a body. So what do you see in the mirror today? Maybe the struggles that I've described you see in your own life in some other area or maybe in the same area. Uh, or, or maybe you see other struggles that kind of coincide with those struggles that, that you need to work on. That we as a congregation can more effectively work together as, as God designed. I need to do better. I need your help to do better.
And I need you to pray that God will help me do better. But if there's any change that you recognize that you need to make, maybe some public change, some area that you need to ask for the prayers of the brethren here, we're here to help one another. Um, And so if there's any struggle that you're facing, uh, don't face it alone. Reach out. And if you aren't part of the body of Christ, God in his grace has given you an opportunity to be the, the paint, the canvas in his hand. On your own, you're broken. On your own, you're ruined. But with God, you can be a masterpiece. If you'll surrender your life to him, if you need to bury the old life in baptism today, to repent in some way because you made that commitment but you haven't been living up to it, won't you do that? Won't you make whatever change God knows you need to make right now? If there's any way that we can help you in that, please let us know. At this time, Rick will lead us in a song.